So we're going to talk about going back to church. And the church has been through a rough time, to say the least. Um, before the pandemic hit, there were leadership crises in the church in, in North America. Um, some people that we have followed for, for decades um, fell. And that was something that we all felt you know, in, in our, the core of our being, that people whom we trusted, people whom we believed, um, people who were models for us, after whom we shaped ministry and so on, they fell. Um, and then the pandemic has come along, and with that, I think there's a bit of a, a just a disenchantment with the church. And so we sincerely ask the question, back to church. Um, should we go back to church? And if we do, what have we learned? What, what should we do differently? And uh, today I want to start with just a, a very gentle um, message about two leaders in the early church um, and just encourage us to think differently about um, the leadership of the organized church. Um, one of the things that we've discovered is that that uh, celebrity is very dangerous in the church. And several years back, I remember learning about a conference that was for celebrity pastors. And I wondered at the gall to even convene such a conference. In fact, I thought, first of all, it was sort of a, a you know, a a bit of a joke and maybe it was going to be a, a wake-up call to say come on we're not called to be celebrities but it wasn't it was a sincere conference for people that thought of themselves as celebrity pastors well I don't think we need celebrity pastors in fact I'm pretty sure we don't need celebrity pastors and we have seen celebrity pastors fall and that has caused us to be grieved and it has caused some great disenchantment I want to take you to Philippians chapter 2 and talk about two people, one of whom I'm sure you know, and the other one, you may know his name, but probably that's all. So here's what Paul writes, and he's in jail in Rome, and he's writing to a church in Philippi, which is about 800 miles away. Here's what he says. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests and not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. 
Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Timothy, you have met, and now I also want to talk to you about Epaphroditus. Um, Timothy is Paul's son in the Lord. Um, you know, in, in just all of the, the, the details of that sort of image. Um, Paul has discipled Timothy. Timothy has served Paul and, and with Paul. And Epaphroditus is another player in, in this little drama um, whom we haven't met before, and we wonder what we know about him. So Timothy we know. Um, we've even told some things about his mother and grandmother, um, but Epaphroditus is probably new to most of us. But let's take a quick look at Timothy and just notice the few things that Paul says in this letter. He says he's someone who is genuinely concerned for your welfare. And then, almost as an aside, he says, and, and Peterson in the message says, around here, they all just look after their, their own interests. So Paul is sort of casting an aspersion on presumably other kinds of leaders or other kinds of uh, speakers. And he says, they all seek after their own interests and not those of Christ Jesus. When he talks about Timothy, he says, though, you know of his proven worth. Celebrity pastors versus Timothy and Epaphroditus. Um, I think the very simple message that we will come to from, from Philippians um, is, is already emerging and being quite clear. Um, but let's, let's go on and, and see what is next about Epaphroditus. So here's a map. Um, and if you would like to have a consideration of um, this story, Philippi is here, and Rome is way over here. Between <clears throat> Philippi and Rome, there are two famous Roman roads. The first one is here, and the second one is all the way up here in Italy towards Rome. They are about, um, well, the distance between Philippi and the Adriatic Sea and the distance in Italy up the coast and over to the other side to Rome, both are about 350 miles. So 350 miles will take you from here to here, 350 miles from here to here, and about 100 miles to cross the Adriatic Sea. This is the trip that Epaphroditus took. So he left Philippi, and he traveled 350 miles through very, very rough terrain. Um, and then he presumably crossed, we're not told how he gets over to Italy, but he presumably got a boat or got on to some sailing kind of vessel and made it over and then traveled all the way up to Rome. It was a journey that would have taken at least six weeks. Um, and he probably made it with some companions. The reason he made his trip to Rome was to bring a gift to the Apostle Paul. And Philippi was a place where the believers were very conscientious in their support of the work of the gospel, and particularly in, in the work that Paul was doing. And so more than once, they had sent some financial 
resources to Paul. And here is the account of Epaphroditus, who actually was the one who carried their money to Paul. Now, there's some speculation about what the folks back at Philippi were thinking. Um, so Epaphroditus was one of their own, and they sent him off in good faith with the money, and some scholars believed that they had not heard anything back from Epaphroditus. He was supposed to have come back once he had delivered his uh, package to Rome, and so presumably six weeks there and six weeks back, and they were saying, so where's Epaphroditus? And they thought maybe he had absconded with the money. That, that's just one rogue sort of notion that comes along. What actually happened is that Epaphroditus got sick. And when you got sick back then, you didn't get better. So um, Epaphroditus apparently almost died of his sickness. So whether it was something that he contracted along the way, whether he stayed in some wayside inns um, and got some kind of food poisoning, or no, we, d we don't know what it was, but the result was that Epaphroditus almost died, and Paul's view is that he was actually miraculously helped. It wasn't just that he got better, but that God answered their prayers for Epaphroditus to recover. And so now Paul is saying, um, you know, here, here's me, here's Timothy, but I thought it was pretty necessary for me to send Epaphroditus back right away because, um, <laughs> I don't know what happens, Be because he is pining away and he's worried about what you're feeling since he has not returned. And so I'm wanting to send him right away to get back to Philippi and tell you that I have received your help and it's been a wonderful blessing to me. And Epaphroditus um, is back with my grateful commendation of the service that he has rendered to me on your behalf. The things that Paul identifies then about Epaphroditus are he calls him a fellow worker or a fellow soldier or fellow worker and a fellow soldier he says about Epaphroditus that he is your messenger that is the Philippians messenger and minister to my need and then he also observes that Epaphroditus has been longing for you all. And he finally says to, to the Philippians, he was sick to the point of death, risking his life. Who, who was Epaphroditus? Um, we only hear about him here in Philippians. Epaphroditus comes from Aphrodite, so his parents gave him a name after a Greek goddess. Um, presumably they were worshippers of that goddess. But somewhere along the way, Epaphroditus became a, a Christ follower. And the one little clue in, in this passage that um, Paul gives to us is Paul calls him a fellow soldier. And he has, he has not used that 
terminology with Timothy before. It's you know it's his son in the faith and his fellow fellow worker. But Epaphroditus he calls his fellow soldier. He uses military sort of lingo and says that as he's a soldier, not physically, but he's a soldier in in the fight for for faith. Epaphroditus he calls also his fellow soldier, and so scholars have have wondered if Epaphroditus was actually a retired soldier. And that's why um, Paul uses that sort of moniker about him, that he's his fellow soldier. Philippi was a place where retired Roman soldiers could be found because once they retired from the Roman army, um, they were given some land, and Philippi was a, a, a... a particular place in which land was given to those that retired from the Roman army. And so then, presumably, Epaphroditus may well have been one of those retired Roman legion soldiers. And he, in his retirement, settled in Philippi, was joined into the church in Philippi. And he decided that he'd be willing to go and, in fact, risk his life to serve Paul. That, that's a whole lot of rambling on what's the story that we get here. The story that we get here is that Epaphroditus is someone about whom Paul says, when he comes, be sure to receive him with joy because of what he has done and hold people like that in high regard. So that's what I wanted to get to is who are the kinds of leaders that we need to hold in high regard? They're not the celebrity leaders. Um, They're not the dysfunctional leaders in maybe a church that needs to be restructured as we go back to church. Um, where we have migrated to a form of church that has often been focused on a personality and that personality has been uh, celebrated in the context of his or her own ministry. But very often, the, the ministry that is being led has sort of the fingerprints of that person all over it. And when we come back to the way the church was that Paul describes, from Timothy's example and from the example of Epaphroditus, Um, Paul says, Timothy is someone that I just know will have a sincere love for you. And the others around are only looking after their own interests, not those of Christ. I think we have to have a hard look and ask, why, why have some of the prominent leaders in, in churches and ministries why why were they in the game? And Paul says, well, I'll tell you how it was back in the first century. A lot of them were there for their own interests, not for the interests of Christ Jesus. But Timothy is different because Paul says, he, he just naturally cares for your well-being. And Epaphroditus is another person of the same kind of, of stripe where he clearly is not interested in his own affairs, he's actually willing to risk his life for, for the mission of Paul. 
So as we think about being back to church, you know, I, I think we all need to say, were we looking carefully enough at what the ministry was that, you know, person A or B or C was leading? Um, and are we, are we going to throw the baby out with the bathwater by saying church is a place where celebrity is, you know, lauded, and yet it, it, it brings its leaders to a tumble? Um, or do we say, no, it's, it's, it's just that we have wandered from the way the church was always intended to be. And Paul understood the way the church was intended to be, and so he said, let me just remind you about Timothy and Epaphroditus, the kinds of people they are, hold people like that in high regard. And we, we would do well, I think, to ask, well, who do we hold in high regard, or who, who should we hold in high regard? The four gentlemen that, that prayed for their countries, we need to hold in high regard. They are risking their lives. Um, the, David, the, the last one, he actually was at Southside back on Derry, if you remember. Um, David's father I met in Nigeria way, way, way back, and Sunday Umuni gave his life for the gospel. He died um, as he was serving Christ, and there, there's some question about what happened around his death. David is a passionate leader in the church, um, but there's severe opposition and hatred that is being mounted against them. And so all of, all of these believers and all the ones in behind them that they're praying with and for are, are people that we hold in high regard. C celebrity is not of any interest to them. Um, their own interests every one of them has left behind. Joseph was a very successful business person in Montreal uh, before being called back to Lebanon where he has been a servant there for, for many, many years. Um, Paul says, Timothy naturally cares for you unlike the others who only care about their own interests. And Epaphroditus was someone who was willing to actually die if, if that was necessary for the interests of Christ. Churches that are founded and formed on a personality are, are, are almost doomed to fail because um, God is not interested in sharing his glory. And he, nor, nor should he be. The, 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 the very first calling that we have is to the, glo the glory of God. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So that, that is the, the standard by which we live, that it is God's glory that matters and man's glory does not matter. Many of the stories in the Bible, and in the Old Testament particularly, um, show how that God's glory was what he would attend to, not people's needs. The, f the first thing that he would make sure was looked after was his glory. Um, the Ark of the Covenant being s taken away by the Philistines um, is a great example of, of the fact that God, wh when it came right down to it, um, God would not let the Ark of the Covenant be, you know, accepting of Dagon, the Philistine god, in the same place. So the Philistine god 
fell down, broke in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. Israel had tried to use the Ark of the Covenant to get God to give them a victory, and he said, well, you don't get to use me because I'm the one who wants the glory. You don't get the glory. And it was only when God's glory was, was at, at stake in a, in, a, you know, in a very sharp way that, that God stepped in. So story after story is, is like that. And um, we all have to face the fact that, that there is something dark in all of us that if, if we aspire to leadership, that one of the pitfalls of leadership may be success. And success is something that is very dangerous um, when we are supposed to be living with, with uh, the priority of God's glory in, in our minds and hearts. So the way that we have done church needs to be visited, I think. And we need to ask, um, what, what is it that is really the, the goal of this leader person? Um, and leader persons need to, to rid themselves regularly of a, of a desire for their own interests. Um, financial desire, fame desire, success desire, all of those things can look pretty innocuous at the start until they finally trap you. And back behind it all, God is saying, why, why did you think this was going to be a formula for your success? That's not what it was supposed to be. Um, it was supposed to be a formula for my glory. So I think as we come back to church, we need to honestly face the fact that the church in North America particularly um, has allowed human leaders um, to serve their interests, to be successful in, in what may actually be fairly worldly sets of values. And as we come back to church, maybe we need to come back and say, let's make sure that we don't exalt a celebrity pastor, a celebrity leader. Let's be careful that we examine everything that is taught and ask questions about the life that is behind the words that are spoken by, by someone um, who impresses us by the rhetoric or the arguments or um, the success of their building is concerned. Philippians is called the epistle of joy, um, which is quite ironic because Paul is in jail. He's got Roman soldiers chained to him. Um, if Epaphroditus was a retired soldier, imagine that when he gets back to Philippi and says, so I saw Paul. Yeah, he's got some of the Praetorian, they're chained to him. Um, in fact, he's leading them to Christ. And maybe some of his buddies back in Philippi would say, Who, who's there? And he might have said, well, so-and-so was there, and he's a Christ follower. And just an interesting conjecture of how those things might have played out. Um, Paul is full of joy, uh, and he, he wants the Philippians also to be filled with joy because Epaphroditus is well, and he wants him to be able to go back and say, I'm good, and I delivered the package, and Paul's really, really grateful, and here's the rest of the stuff he, he wants to tell you about. It, it, t 
takes me back to the very, very simple acrostic that we probably all learned in Sunday school for the word joy. Jesus, what's the next one? Others, what's the last one? Yourself. It's, it's not more complicated than that, is it? If I can examine um, my values, my goals, my behaviors, and see that the way I live is sorted with the priority being Jesus. Um, what does Jesus want? What would Jesus do? Um, what is Jesus doing? And then immediately after that, if I will put others first on my list. That's what Paul says about Timothy. He just naturally cares for you. So if, if my second thought is always, n- not only does it really, really matter what Jesus thinks, but it really, really matters how others are, what they need, every time. And unless you're a a great saint, you have the same struggle I do, which is that the ugliness of my selfishness and my rights gets in the way of all these things. We can talk this way in church, and then all of a sudden somebody does something and the last thing that we think of is serving that person. We still think, well, I should get that first, or I should be there, or I should, because the ugliness of the self gets in the way. Thirdly, yourself. So if, if it's always tumbling out that way, that moment by moment, day by day, Jesus comes first, others come second, and you come last. That's what Timothy lived like. That's what Epaphroditus apparently lived like. That's what Paul was concerned for. And the joy that forms the acrostic is a result of living that way. And so as we go back to church, um, this is just a clumsy way to say, let's come back differently. And let's be be scrutinizing a little bit more carefully the, the the organizations, the churches that that are reassembled and move forward. Um, is the gospel, the mission of Jesus, the, the incarnation of Jesus, the, um, the presentation of Jesus, the utmost thing that we are about? And then do we turn around and look to the needs of others and care thoroughly Um, for others' needs and then finally say, okay, now I have some time for myself and my own needs and my own desires. Um, No celebrity pastors, no celebrity leaders, a bunch of servants trying to get Jesus' work done, loving other people and then just being happy with what's left over. There it is. Back to church. I say yes, but carefully.